We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Yes, indeed, hour number two underway now at seven minutes after 10 o'clock. On this Tuesday, the fourth morning of the first month of an extraordinarily pivotal year of our Lord, 2022. Thanks for being with us. It is, uh, it is, uh, not an over, uh, it's not overly dramatic. It's not melodramatic to say that this literally will be the year that decides the course of the future of this country. It, uh, it is literally, t- it's, I said, uh, I said in the opening monologue, um we are we are on a precipice here and we can fall down one side or we can be pulled back uh on solid ground and that is exactly our mission in 2022 we set it in november of 2020 when the election was stolen 2022 is when we um reverse course 2022 is when we rescue this nation and that is exactly what our mission must be between now and november And, of course, it works its way through the primaries in the state of Ohio coming up in May. But this this nation is at a... At a, at a pivotal point. And um, that's why we changed our name. That's why we changed our branding, because it represents exactly what we are in every aspect of the phrase. We will always be right in 2022. We do our homework. We bring you information. We bring you facts. We don't bring you conjecture. And we don't bring you leftism. So in all ways, we are always right, and uh, that new aggression is going to be felt uh, throughout uh, 2022, because we literally are going to be fighting for our lives as we know them. Joining us now in that fight, as he has uh, every Tuesday, pretty much, for the last five or six years on this radio program with me, is our good friend Peter Kersenow, who joins us now. He, of course, is a Cleveland attorney, a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, the longest ever serving such member, by the way. Uh, he is a columnist, he is an author, and he is our good friend. Hey, Peter, good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Bob. Hey, you know, as uh, Larry says, we've got, a, we've got a country to save here. It's 2022. We've got midterm elections. Um, I think the elections are going to be consequential, but, you know, politics is downstream from culture, as Andrew Breitbart said. Culture is downstream from faith and family. We've got a lot of work to do, but um, I'm feeling pretty encouraged based on what I've been seeing so far. But, you know, the United States seems to be rejecting Brandon and uh, his brand of socialism, um, but, you know, it's pervasive. It's intruded into all of our institutions, our schools, and we've got a lot of pushback to, uh, ahead of us. No question about it. And by the way, it's okay to call him Brandon now, right, considering the fact that he agreed yeah. with it. He literally yeah, agreed. Absolutely. He said, uh, let's go, Brandon. I agree. So it's okay to call him President Brandon now, and I think that's fair to do. All right, Pete, there's so much uh, to get into here, obviously, to start the new year, and I, I want to try to cover as much of it as possible. The two stories 
that dominated last year uh, were the COVID-19 China virus and racism and the quote-unquote uh, movement toward racial equity and diversity and inclusion and equity uh um you know in this country and now we start 2022 with a marriage a story that marries the two of them racism or racial equity and covid-19 and that of course is new york the state of new york has decided that when it comes to distributing low supplies which is all they have of covid-19 treatments including monoclonal antibodies and the new pfizer pill which i'm not sure i would want anyway the antiviral pill that they're saying would uh, mitigate uh, symptoms of uh, of covid-19 when it comes to distribution they're going to prioritize non-white people which is a nice way of saying they're going to discriminate against white people. They're going to decide on who gets this medication based on the color of their skin. They say because of historic uh, uh, underrepresentation, if you will, or under-availability of medications for people of color because people in poverty don't have access to the best care, et cetera, et cetera. So in other words, we're going to try to wipe the slate clean here and say, now, white people, you get to feel what it, uh, see what it feels like to sit on the back of the bus waiting in line uh, to get uh, treatments for COVID-19. You're going to let the darker people go in front of you uh, because, uh, well, they deserve it more. Pete, how do you respond to that? It's despicable and unlawful, patently unlawful. Um, I mean, we can go into a long discussion of it. I think your listeners know intuitively that this is wrong and uh, unlawful. You know, something can be unlawful and not wrong or wrong and not unlawful. But in this case, it's both. And I think if I could think of the appropriate superlatives for how wrongful it is, uh, it would take me a few moments to do so. But this is as bad as it gets. Not only is it unlawful, But think of the domino effect of this. What we've seen here is, over the course of a couple of years now, this normalization of discrimination, what we used to be called reverse discrimination back in the day. And it's accelerated. You know, I talked a little bit about this. You and I talked about it uh, on the Tucker Show last week, that what we've seen since, uh, especially since the George Floyd uh, incident, is this acceleration in racism, segregation in programs and practices um, in support of so-called equity, a term you will not find in any constitutional provision, any civil rights legislation, civil rights statutes, nowhere to be found. It is a sleight of hand. It sounds like equality, but it is not. What it is is a license to discriminate for those who want to discriminate to tinker with the system. So what we have here is New York saying, okay, if you are black and brown, then you have priority when it comes to COVID treatments, health and life-saving treatments. There's nothing more despicable than something like that, and I think it infects society. It makes people think in a way that we think of each other not as Americans, but as racial or identity groups. Now, I'd like to see what the Biden department, well, we know it's going to happen. This is a tailor-made case for the Justice Department to jump in and say, no way. Uh, A program like New York City's or New York State, okay, is uh, governed by any program that gets federal funds is 
within the crosshairs of DOJ, because you cannot discriminate on the basis of race, etc., if you receive any federal funding, and DOJ has the authority to enforce that. Now, as I said on Tucker's show, I'm not waiting a whole lot of time for them to take any kind of action, but this is extraordinary and it's despicable. They should be acting on something like this. Um, if they take any action the, at all, Pete, don't you think that this administration and the DOJ under the leadership of President Brandon through Mayor Garland would be to say, good job, New York, thumbs up. Everybody else should do this as well. I mean, this is literally what I would expect from this particular DOJ. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to be as vocal as that, but they're going to be, they're going to give approval by silence. And New York tries to justify it, I think you indicated, by saying, uh, you know, because of historical discrimination or systemic discrimination, that doesn't justify doing this. It doesn't make it lawful to do so. The only time a program can discriminate on the basis of race due to alleged past discrimination is where that program itself had engaged in racial discrimination. You've got to show that that program in the recent past has engaged in discrimination, and then you may be, may be able to remedy it by engaging in so-called reverse discrimination. There's a host of case law on this, with the Supreme Court case related to this, so you cannot do it. This is unequivocally unlawful, Bob, and everybody should be complaining about it, even if the Justice Department doesn't, because this has societal repercussions. You can't put this genie back in the bottle. Once you start discriminating on the basis of race, it starts to metastasize, and we've got to stop it. And, and Pete, if, if, first of all, that's exactly right. I'm so glad you pointed that out, because if they can do racially, and again, we need to point out that this is discriminatory against a race of people, not just promoting or prioritizing another race. That's in, in their, in their best uh, branding, this is prioritizing the treatment of a, of a previously historically underserved race of the population. That's the, that's a, that's the positive spin on it. That's the glass half full part. The part they don't want you to hear about is if you are not the right color, you are not intentionally going to be denied treatment you are going to be discriminated against so this is racial discrimination against the majority race of the country and its status as a majority is not an issue it is just the fact that it is a race that is being denied and Pete the worst part about this is it's not just New York I've got and you know this is Mm -hmm. going to be the case in Minnesota a local hospital network there has drawn up and outlined their plans for the distribution of these very low supply, which, by the way, is another story. The the job that the Biden administration has done, which is so pathetic in providing uh, adequate numbers of supplies of treatments. But in Minnesota, this network has designed a point system to get access to the most effective anti-COVID treatments. And I'm going to quote this from the Minnesota network. The most effective therapy for Omicron variant is Sotrivimab. I hate trying to do this. Sotrivimab, which is in limited supply. We will use Sotrivimab for outpatient treatment and post-exposure prophylaxis for patients with a MASSPB, which is monoclonal antibody scoring system, pregnancy, and BIPOC, which of course is uh, um, uh, black, indigenous, and people of color which is validated by a score of four and above. So in order to get the best access to the best, or excuse me, to get access to the best COVID treatment in Minnesota, you need a score of four or more. And two of those four points are attained just by being BIPOC. You can get two points by having diabetes, two points by having chronic kidney disease, two, three points by getting having cardiovascular disease, and it's got a number of other things. 
but two of the four points can just be your skin color. So if two people have, you know, the same exact conditions, one is white, one is BIPOC, the white person sits out and does not get treatment simply because of the color of their skin. Now, this is New York, this is Minnesota, these are the only ones that I know of at the moment, but of course, it's probably going on a lot of other places as well, Pete. You know, one, we've seen a variety of polls over the last couple of years showing that confidence in public institutions and even in the medical profession has taken a nosedive. And one of the reasons for that is because of the politicization of medicine, the politicization of the response to COVID, politicization of virtually everything. Almost everything has been politicized these days. People intuitively sense that when something's politicized, when you're playing these kinds of games, when you're playing these racial uh, games with respect to medical care, that that it's all false, that it is um, something that is being done for a political basis. It, it exacerbates any kind of cultural or racial tensions and yeah, uh, yeah, it's been done for so long. We saw it with Fauci doing it on so many levels. People don't have confidence. Now, think back to, you know, very often you've heard during the COVID debate, the reluctance of many blacks to take the vaccine. And that reluctance emanates in part from things such as the Tuskegee experiment, where blacks were you know, permitted to continue to have syphilis without treatment, un, in many cases unbeknownst to them, to observe the effects. And as an outgrowth of that and other such uh, uh, programs, blacks have historically had a suspicion of any programs, medical programs like this. Now we are doing it again in almost not just in Tuskegee, but in so many different areas of the country, out in Oregon, as you just stated, stated Minnesota, New York. Uh, I think there's one in Georgia, the Virginia. This is, it's metastasizing. It's not going to be good for public cohesion. Uh, the American polity is going to be riven asunder by this cherry picking, this, this, this uh, racial uh, cherry picking that's going on right now. It's bad for our culture, bad for society, but most importantly in the short term is it's blatantly unlawful and this is why we have a justice department. That that is well that's why it's supposed to be why we have a justice department and we'll see if they actually work uh toward justice in these cases. Peter Kersenow is our guest. It is ten twenty. We're gonna take a time out here. We're gonna come back. Talk about whether or not Peter Kersenow is critical of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And if so, why it is he wants to sleep with her. That's coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 1022 now. We continue on AM 1420, The Answer. We are always right. Peter Kersenow is our guest. Peter... Alexandria Damasio Cortez uh, has drawn <laughs> widespread scorn and condemnation for tweet in which she determined that the reason why Republicans criticize her is because they can't date her and they are taking out their sexual frustrations uh, through criticizing her and tweeting about her boyfriend's feet, among other things. Um, Here's a response from Candace Owens. Uh, 
Listen, I saw this and I, I actually couldn't believe my eyes. And I tried to create a sober analysis of what made her tweet that. And by the way, it got worse. She had a second tweet that said, there are sexual frustrations that underpin Republicans' crit critiques of me, their fixation on me. So she's really actually creating a sexual narrative. And in my sober analysis, I believe that she wasn't sober. I think, you know, alcohol loosens your inhibitions. <laughs> and I think that she was about 10 margaritas deep in Miami, enjoying the free state of Florida. And she wrote something that was honestly just filth. I mean, how bizarre and immature it is it for any person, any person that wants to be taken seriously as an adult, to look at a fair critique of them as an elected official who has been barking about how Florida's doing everything wrong, about how bad Ron DeSantis is, to see this critique and to offer back, well, you know what, you just want to sleep with me. All right, Peter Kirstenau, Uh is AOC right? Are you critical of her? And is, is it because of sexual frustrations and wishing you could be with her? You know, I'm... I disagree with Candace uh, a little bit here. I think that uh, this is a function of AOC. AOC is a, the best description of her, and I don't mean to say this pejoratively, it's, I think, an accurate description, is that she's a vapid socialist brat. Um, she's been in Congress for some time now, several years, and there's no evidence that she's learned anything, let alone how to behave with the appropriate congressional decorum, if, if there is such a thing. Uh, she's deluded. She's wrong about everything, but that never deters her from continuing to pursue the same policy prescriptions. And uh, I, I actually, when I've seen her behave before, it doesn't require her to have 10 margaritas or anything to say something this stupid. So I disagree with Candace. I think that this is probably something she said with all clarity of mind, and she probably believes it. You know, I don't follow Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez because I've got more important to, things to do, and talking to my dogs gives me as much intellectual stimulation as I would get from following her. <laughs> but nonetheless, if you follow her over the last few years, and you can't avoid it because she's everywhere, um, you notice that, she, again, she knows nothing. She knows nothing. And she has no desire to learn anything. And on top of that, were she able to learn or at least capture some information in that little brain of hers, I don't know that she'd be able to analyze it. She ex ex exhibits absolutely no intellect beyond, say, the, that of, uh, I don't know, what she was before. And no disrespect to bartenders. I did for a little while when I was in college, and I was a very poor one. But nonetheless... Uh, she doesn't exhibit any desire to learn or improve herself. She just makes these ridiculous uh, comments as if she were some social media influencer. So you know, I think we on the right, it's fun to do so because she's such an idiot, uh, but we on the right, I think, spend too much time responding to the, AOC of the AOCs of the world. We should be responding to the serious, if there are some, but, but the serious in terms of causing damage to the country, Democrats out there. And that starts with Brandon himself, who does damage without sometimes even realizing he's doing damage. The Pelosi's of the world, the Schumer's of the world. AOC is going to be a footnote and a, an embarrassing one in the history of America. And uh, I think we devote probably too much time to her, but right now, she's got to vote so she can do damage well, and we make sure that we have to respond to some of the lunacy that she uh, espouses from time to time. Well, Pete, that 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 may be the case, but then again, maybe not. Talking about the footnote in history part of this, and by the way, when you said you were a bartender and a, and a very poor one, all I heard was P O U R. Well done. Um, now, the the part about AOC, uh, the part about AOC may not be accurate, and the reason why is according to several surveys slash opinion pieces that I've read uh, from from leftist uh, you know commentators. 
this may come down to the very old against the very young in 2024. She will be 35 years of age in October of election year 2024 and thus eligible. Some believe on the left that this is going to come down to Hillary at age 107 or 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 uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who for all of her stupidity and everything you said I think was accurate, including your conversations with your dog, um, she's popular. She drives the real far progressive left to places that Bernie can't because of his age and his, you know, complete unlikability. But she she has that same mentality, another self-identified democratic socialist, and that hasn't hurt her to call herself one. It has only increased her popularity. Now, she's only in her third year. It's her second term in Congress. But her popularity among the real progressive movement has increased, not decreased. And they're saying she could be a serious player in 2024 for a party that doesn't have very many serious options. Yeah, that says something about where we are as a country, but it specifically indicts the progressive party. Um, You know, by any measure, any realistic and sober measure, this person should be nowhere near Congress, should not be near, you know, sharp implements, in fact. But I, I've read those analyses that it's, it looks like it may be, I think it was uh, Dick Morris who thought that it came down to Hillary and AOC. And, and I don't put it past the progressives. Look, look who we have as president right now. Yeah. Um, they care about power, and they don't care how they get it, and they know that the media is going to be uh, behind them 100%. And that's one of the problems we've got. We've got a completely corrupt media that will do anything in furtherance of the progressive agenda. I do think, personally, that, I, and again, I've I've been proven wrong as far as the direction in which the progressives will go, how far they will take it. But I even think they would pause before going with AOC. If they saw in the polling data that she's their best option, I mean, if they saw that, again, my dogs, if my dogs were their best option, they'd promote the dogs as if they're the greatest thing since Disraeli and George Washington combined. But nonetheless, um, I'm skeptical that she's got a shelf life that will take her to, you know, a candidacy for the presidency. But, you know, we're staring at President Brandon right now, so anything's possible. No question about it. All right, Peter, when we come back after the bottom of the hour news, we're going to go to COVID policies and what is being done to our kids again. Kids want to be in school, uh, all of them. Parents want their kids to be in school, all of them. Teachers, unions, however, see it differently. And guess which side is winning in far too many big districts around this country. We're going to talk about what uh, we need to do going forward with respect to Omicron and with respect to uh, proper mitigation of the spread of the variant. Uh, especially as it comes to protocols involving our schools and places of business. Kirsten Al, right back with us after this. Always right on AM 1420, The Answer. Always right with Bob France. 
1420, The Answer. 1037 now, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for being with us for our first live show of 2022. Uh, Yesterday, of course, we were in best of mode as we had our company holiday for the uh, holiday, which, of course, took place on a weekend on Saturday. So I appreciate you being with us today. Jim Jordan, who would have been with us yesterday, will be with us tomorrow morning at 935. And, of course, if you missed that interview or any others, including the one we did earlier this morning with Mike Gibbons, find it. On the Always Right podcast page of WHK uh, fourteen, or excuse me, whkradio.com, whkradio.com. Continuing now with Peter Curse. Now, all right, Peter. So, let's talk about um, the uh, new COVID policies that are being implemented uh, across the country in response to the Omicron variant, which, by virtually all accounts, amounts to a cold. Whether it's a mild cold or a more severe cold, leading with you know with a lot of coughing and, and other things, is 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 kind of uh, debatable, and it varies from person to person. But largely, it is just a cold. Um, one would think that in previous, in fact, one knows that in previous winters and cold and flu seasons, when people got colds, they stayed home from school, and then when their symptoms went away, they went back to school. But in 2022, and in this, the winter of 21-22, if you have a cold, you've got to race to a testing site and confirm that your cold is indeed a cold that has a name, and you've got to go home and do the same exact thing you were going to do anyway, which is take some NyQuil and rest for a couple of days until you're better. But now that it has that name, the teachers' unions are saying, oh, you can't put us in those classrooms with those dirty germ-covered varmints. We need to go back to online learning. And sure enough, the teachers' unions are winning in more big city districts. Um, Pete, how long are we going to have to play these political games, and how long are we going to have to succumb to fear and loathing by the unions, particularly teachers' unions, that continue to torture and torment children by keeping them out of classrooms? Until parents and other taxpayers say no mas. We saw that happen in Virginia, for example, with CRT, with critical race theory. Mm-hmm. Parents finally said, nope, we're not doing it. Uh, they put Glenn Youngkin into office. They've done a lot of other things, too, throughout the country where parents have been upset with it. Parents are getting increasingly frustrated with what the teacher new, teachers' unions have been doing. Look, um, I think you have to take coronavirus seriously, but we've gone from, remember at the outset of coronavirus, it seemed like it was something from outer space. Everybody was really scared about it. It was something that was serious that, you know, people were dying from it. But let's, let's be honest about this and let's be accurate. The people back then who were dying from it, before we had any kind of treatments, before we had a vaccine, uh, before we actually knew what the heck we were doing and what we were dealing with, were those who were generally over the age of 65 and generally, frankly, over the age of 70. And who had a, what's known as a comorbidity, the phrase that we've heard for the first time over the last couple of years. Yeah. And those co- comorbidities were usually something fairly serious. Um, you just mentioned Omicron, which actually, by all measures, is similar to having a cold, and we're locking down now because of colds. Now, more people have been hospitalized, but I also think some of that, I don't know this, but common sense indicates that some of that is driven by the fact that people are still very concerned about coronavirus. So if they have some symptoms that um, appear to be uh, COVID, they will more likely go to the hospital than they otherwise would have if we hadn't had two years of hysteria about it. Um, But look, I I, I don't want to diminish it, but the one cohort that is, I don't want to say invulnerable, 
but is has virtually no problems with COVID are the young, those who are going to school, K through 12, and especially K through 8. You, you have to search har- far and wide to find anyone who's had some serious, and there are those, let's face it, in a nation of 330 million, you're going to have it. And unfortunately, the media goes out there and seizes upon the two or three people that they can find in any jurisdiction and plays that up as if this, again, is some virus from another planet that if left unchecked is going to wreak havoc throughout all of society. Society. This is not the response of a nation that stormed Omaha Beach. This is a na- I'm, I'm very concerned about the direction in which our country is going in terms of emotional response, in terms of a mental response. Uh, I thought that we were, you know, the, the land of the free and the home of the brave. And this doesn't even require bravery. It just remi- it requires a little bit, a modicum of fortitude. Um, you know, I've not changed my, I mean, I've changed my habits in terms of, I try to be a little bit more careful in terms of, uh, you know, sanitation, uh, but in terms of going to work, I've never missed a day of work since the very beginning. I came into the office every single day, never changed anything, because I made an independent American determination, an adult determination, that this had low risk for me, and if I had a risk, if I had it, I thought I would survive, and nonetheless, I had work to do. I am an American. I'm an responsible adult. And I don't, I'm not going to be cowed by something that, uh, it, it, as dangerous as it may have seemed at the outset, I'm not going to be cowed by it. A nation that has done all the things it has done over the course of its history to get us to this point to now be blanching in the face of something, again, Omicron, which is something like a cold, not even a bad cold. It's dispiriting to think that my, my brethren, so many of them, are acting in this fashion, but I do think a large portion of this is driven by um, uh, politics, uh, and, and well, almost everything is driven by politics, but we're allowing teachers' unions to get away with a travesty here. We have got copious data now that the harms associated with masking and the lockdown and remote learning are That's profoundly right. more serious than any harms visited upon our young people by coronavirus itself. And we're allowing a union to dictate. We've seen the, the deleterious effects. There's some data now that shows in terms of learning capacity, in terms of emotional development, uh, social development, there's been profound damage done through K through 12. And we're allowing some adults in a union to visit these harms upon our children. This is our future. Uh, we're not going to be the same United States of America if, among other things, Put aside the fact that they're falling behind in terms of instruction, but we are setting a very bad example by making our kids a bunch of wimps. Again, it's not the generation that's going to be fighting at Omaha Beach. This is going to be a completely different generation, and I don't know that we're going to be able to withstand the challenges of the future coming from a China, a Russia, an Iran, or any other type of challenge if we inculcate in our young people this kind of fear and trepidation. Not good. And no, no, there's no question about it. And you know, Pete, one, one more thought on it, uh, about it being a cold and not a very serious one. This might be a cold worth getting as well, because yeah. as Dr. Mark Siegel noted, get this cold, this yep. Omicron cold, and find yourself with natural immunity against COVID period, including other variants. Listen. 
It's absolutely correct what you just said. It's transmitting among not just the unvaccinated, but among the vaccinated, and it's because of the mutations it has that allows it to do that. Omicron is different, and Omicron is reinfecting people. If you've been vaccinated or if you've had another variant, chances are it'll be milder, but it, tell that to someone who has it. It doesn't feel too mild, right? The good news here, if there's good news, is that in the wake of Omicron, you're making plenty of antibodies, not just against Omicron, but against other variants, which is why the Danish scientists may very well be right. It, it may leave a, a long path of immunity in its wake that could bring us to a situation where we don't have this roaring pandemic. I th- Multiple doctors have said exactly that here, that this is how pandemics end, when strains or variants yep. of, a, of, a, of a virus begin to mutate into weaker uh, weaker, you know, variants uh, with with milder symptoms. Um, you know, it, it's much more highly infectious, but much, much, much less serious and less dangerous, and not at all deadly. And then people build that herd immunity with natural immunity, not with profit shots from Pfizer, but with natural immunity to the way, to the point where the population is now resistant to the spread altogether. Yeah, I, I've, I've, you know, in preparing programs for clients. I've done as much research as I can about coronavirus, and that's my understanding also, that this is a normal trajectory, frankly, for viruses. Uh, Sometimes the virulence increases, but the morbidity and deleterious effects decrease at the same time because precisely what you said, you've got more antibodies in the broad population than you otherwise would have. And it generally kind of it becomes an endemic is what it becomes rather than a pandemic. And we may have to live with it, but it's going to be like the Omicron having a cold. It's going to be like the seasonal flu. And again, look, for those who are at risk, take the appropriate precautions. I'm not trying to diminish it for, for folks like that. But for the rest of America, let's act like Americans, please. I, and I'm not trying to be cavalier about this at all. I'm not trying to be macho about this. I, I mean, this isn't macho. I, mean, I, I, I think of the greatest generation, and if they could see the way we are behaving, their progeny is behaving, I think they'd be embarrassed. Um, we've got work to do. We're Americans. Let's get this stuff behind us. Let's educate our children. Let's do the right thing. Let's get some more therapeutics. Let's get the government to move finally for us and do so in a non-discriminatory fashion. They said they were going to get all these testing kits. They said they were going to get all these. uh, They're holding up monoclonal antibodies. It looks like they may be doing so uh, for political reasons. What the heck is going on here? Who is in charge and who serves whom? Does the government serve us or do we serve the government? And Brandon better get his act together. He said over a year ago he was going to shut down the virus and all he's done is shut down himself going to, be, going to sleep at an early hour because he can't handle the stress of this occupation. Uh, we've got a lot of accountability that hasn't been met by our politicians. We've been ill-served by many elites. One of the things, now I don't mean to go off on a tangent, but one of the things that this has shown, it's somewhat salutary if we can learn the appropriate lesson from it, is that we have a very mediocre elite class in so many levels. Uh, Tucker Carlson has said this many times. You know, you and I have discussed this in the past. It's not just in government where we find the mediocrity. We have found it alarmingly in the highest reaches of the media, 
the highest reaches of the military, the highest reaches uh, in the politicization of our medical establishment. Now, that's not to say we don't have phenomenal, extraordinary people in any of those environments. We do. But it does seem that there's a critical mass of mediocrity there that we hadn't really realized. And it's sobering to think of it. And we're not going to be getting any better if we teach our kids coming up to be afraid of their own shadows or be afraid of having a sniffle. This is not the way you make red-blooded Americans, the kind that won World War II and won the Cold War, space race, and every other war you can think of up until we uh, had the greatest humiliation in my opinion in recent American history and maybe all of American history when he did the skedaddle out of Afghanistan. We're going to have more Afghanistans if we inculcate in our young people this kind of fearful uh, premise for almost any challenge that they may have. Peter, I want to talk uh, last thing about uh, the technocrats who run um, social media and who run Silicon Valley. Marjorie Taylor Greene is uh, a bit of a controversial uh, freshman congresswoman, a Republican, uh, who has is not afraid to speak her mind, which is, I guess, what makes you controversial if you are on the right. If you are conservative and you are not afraid to speak your mind, it makes you controversial. If you're liberal and you're not afraid to sp- speak your mind, uh, you are bold. Um, so she has just been suspended, Marjorie Taylor Greene, from Twitter permanently for violation of Twitter's, quote, COVID-19 misinformation policy. So, by the way, she joins good company with President Trump, who has been suspended permanently from Twitter. Um, COVID-19 misinformation policies also exist at Facebook. So what they are saying, essentially, is if you don't tweet or post in the exact same narrative that we have, we call that misinformation. Even if you're quoting esteemed and and highly reputed doctors of immunology of uh, of uh, uh, you know COVID uh, um, research and uh, viral infections in populations, and there are some tremendous things. Dr. Batakaria comes comes to mind among them. Uh, Dr. Martin Koldorf and others who were responsible for the Great Barrington Declaration. If you quote doctors who disagree with other doctors, that is called misinformation, and you are now banned. She had tweeted, her last tweet was Saturday, about the extremely high amounts of COVID vaccine deaths, which are reported on the CDC's VAERS website. Uh, so that, that was the straw that broke the camel's back for the technocrats running Twitter. You are now tweeting too much COVID misinformation. What I want to know is why Twitter wouldn't ban the CDC, because it's the CDC's website that contains the information that Marjorie Taylor Greene shared from the VAERS uh, portion of their website. But, Pete, I bring all of this up just to talk about First Amendment and to talk about the ability of the left-leaning technocrats who run Silicon Valley and thus control what people can see, what people can read, what they can absorb and decide for themselves, what that means uh, big picture to our population when it comes to their First Amendment rights. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, as a private entity, of course, the First Amendment wouldn't apply. But there are certain antitrust issues. There are all kinds of other issues that may apply. And I had uh, the opportunity to interview Vivek Ramaswamy, who wrote the excellent book that I would recommend, Woke Inc. In fact, I also saw him this morning on, um, on Fox and Friends when I was doing my, my morning uh, run. Um, he recommends that competition should work this out. But one of the things he says in his book also is that... Um, what we should do is have competition that, and he thinks that this type of, you know, these, these folks who are the woke kind of Lilliputian guards 
in Twitter and other places. They don't know what the heck they're doing. They're, they're as you indicated, they're deplatforming people who are some of the best virologists and others because they don't uh, espouse the standard liberal opinion. But you know, those if you have competition, that is probably the best way. And he, he cited the fact that there's Rumble and a couple of other sites that are opening up now that will be competition for the Twitters of the world. He actually thinks that's the best way of approaching it. I think we're kind of in the incipiency of all, even though Twitter's been around for a while, uh, there hasn't been this kind of competition. So I'm not sure, but I'm persuaded by his argument. He's done a deep dive into all this. But bottom line here is this has been going on for a while. It always goes in one direction, in a liberal direction. And in the meantime, between you know now and the time when these other platforms reach kind of a broad um, distribution, we need to fight back as often as we can. We have to fight as often as we can, as hard as we can. As Larry says, we've got a nation to win. And in that regard, there's one, one point I want to make, too. It's kind of off topic. It was Actually, it's on the topic that we talked about before. We were talking about the discrimination that's rampant in the land. It's not just with respect to medicines and in the form of grants and all kinds of other things. Um, what your listeners need to know, and they've always been very good at calling in and doing things, what they need to know is there is a way in which they can get the Justice Department to move. If they go online at the Justice Department, they can find a form where they can file a public complaint that the Justice Department has to investigate, okay? And have, your listeners should file complaints. It doesn't have to be anything formal. You don't have to be a lawyer to do this. If you are upset about what's going on in New York with respect to discriminatory, and I'm going to be doing this later today. My, my assistant is working on it with me right now. Uh, File a complaint about the discriminatory distribution of COVID remedies and any other kind of complaints, uh, whether it be up in Minnesota, whether it be Oregon, wherever it may be. We've got to raise our voices so that they listen to us. The left does this. They've got, you know, you're talking about the unions. They've got yeah. unions. They've got organizations. We operate as individuals, and we must take the challenge up. Just as uh, your listeners have put index cards next to their phones and laptops so they can complain, do something like this. Again, go to... Justice Department website, a yeah. little bit of you know clicking around, you'll find it. Same with the Department of Education when it comes to discriminatory programs. Click around, you'll find a form, file a complaint. Make them work for the privilege of discriminating. Let make Brandon work if he's going to discriminate against us. Peter Kersenow laying it out with uh, with uh, wisdom that only he can provide. Let's phrase it that way. Peter, great start to 2022, my friend. I appreciate it. We've got a lot of work to do, and as you said at the beginning... Quoting our friend Larry Elder, we've got a country to save. Thanks for your help. Take care, Bob. 1055, final segment coming up. That is not inaccurate. We stay together. We survive. This republic survives. We allow them to divide us racially or in any other way. Or vax versus unvaxed. That's another way they're trying to divide us. We allow them to do that, we collapse. There's no question about it. That's not just a, a funny little rejoiner. That's reality. Uh, real quick, Paula in Cle- or uh, Paula, I'm not sure where she's calling from, but Paula, go right ahead. I've got about 35 seconds for you. Go ahead. Oh, my gosh. Hi, Bob. Uh, great show. Happy New Year. You were spot on yesterday. You were on fire and again today. Thank you. Um, I can um, tell you more about it tomorrow if you want, but we're having a rally this Saturday. Um, yes, I'm from Cleveland, and it's, I'm here with my partner, Joe, from Call to Action. 
rally at the State House this Saturday in Columbus at 2 o'clock. Um, we are implementing a plan to take back our liberty from the oligarchy on a state level for Ohio. Paula, yeah, Paula have- let me say this. You have my attention with Rally to Take Back Our Liberty. I'm with you. I do want you to call me tomorrow because I'm out of time today. Let me know all about that rally, and we'll talk about it tomorrow. Jim Jordan also on the program tomorrow. Thanks, everyone, for getting the gear off to a great start. Let's go, Brandon.